Yo, what's up, fam? Meet Art Satterwhite. He's a deputy sheriff, a boxing coach. And in this episode, we talk about the difference between boxing and MMA, reasons why one becomes a cop, stereotypes, building mental calluses, and much more. Enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Get Your Mind Right podcast. This is your host, Mr. Mike, and this will be episode number 22, number 22. And today I have another guest, a special guest, a good buddy of mine, a good friend, gym partner. Um, we have Art Satterwhite. What's up, brother? How you doing? What's good, Mike, man? I'm glad you had me, man. I appreciate this opportunity. You hit me up, man. Thank you so much, bro. Hey, man. Thank you for being here. All good. All good. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Um, we've been knowing we've been knowing each other for a while now, bro. Long time, man. Long, Long time. Long time, man. Long time. I remember when I joined um, the Colton Gym. You were uh, you were already there. You were already yes. there with uh, with Freddie and uh, Carlos, I believe. Yes, two thousand. 13 i want to say that was man 2013 mm. man so we're going on we're going on 10 years yeah he was yeah, a man. young boy man i was a, i was a kid man i was like 12 <laughs> 13 man. i was a little boy yeah little uh-huh. boy how how did you end up being at that gym like t- tell us a bit about your you know your your boxing experience i know you have a uh, experience in other combat sports but tell us about tell us a, a bit about that bro how'd you start so so I was a little uh, late to the, to the boxing game. Um, I didn't start actually boxing until I was 21. I had zero boxing experience. Um, I started doing that uh, at the age of 21. Uh, parents wouldn't let me box as a kid. I was already, you know, getting in too much fights and stuff. So they thought that that was trouble. And my family is pretty poor. So uh, transportation, we never really had a car. You know, we was always riding city bus and stuff. So there was really no way of getting back and forth to a gym. So uh, I had moved to Moreno Valley. I always had, uh, I always wanted to be in law enforcement. So um, I had moved to Moreno Valley. And when I was out there, I seen a gym and it stuck out. It said uh, ASG. My initials are AGS. So when I seen that, I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to go inside that gym and, and see what it's about. So I went over there. And I talked to the, the head guy. I said, hey, man, I just want to join boxing. I just want to get in shape. And it was just to get in shape for a uh, uh, physical agilities test for the sheriff's test. I think I had a couple months and I was like, man, you know what? I think this would be a good idea for me to get, get in shape. I've always been an, an athlete. You know, I played football. I wrestled in high school, uh, mm-hmm. did track, did basketball, did baseball, but never boxing, never boxing. So I was okay. like, man, you know, I want to do this challenge. So I joined that gym. And I want to say maybe like a month in that gym, uh, the coach was like, hey, man, um, have you ever thought about competing? The head, the owner of the gym. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, now nah, I'm just trying to get in shape, really. I never really wanted to compete, man. I'm a little bit too old for that. And he's like, man, you're 21. And he's like, you're in here sparring with some of my fighters. And if you come to my gym and train in the, the kickboxing, the wrestling, the jujitsu, Instead of just doing the boxing and think about fighting, I'll let you, I'll waive your fee. You could come in here for free. 
So I was like, shit, man, I'm going to do that. I said, I had no intention on fighting still. I said, but I was paying, I believe it was like 75 bucks for the, the boxing sessions. And I was That's like, pricey, man, you know man. what? Yes, it gets pricey. So the coach was just like, you know what? If you, you train for with my fighters and join one of the fight team, uh, I'll waive that price for you. But you don't have to fight. We'll make sure you're ready before you before we say you fight. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do that then. So I started training with the fighters, and it was super competitive. And he's like, you're ready to fight. We're going to get you. <laughs> we're going to get you going to fighting. So that's what got me in the fight game. And that's where I met my coach, Freddie Barrera. Um, at that gym because he was the boxing coach at that gym. This was a mixed martial arts gym. They had a wrestling coach, kickboxing coach. Uh, but that's where I, I got tied in with Freddie. Um, so through getting tied in with Freddie, I got it, I got into uh, the MMA. I started competing. Freddie hits me up. Me and him start getting a close bond. And of me doing all of these other uh, arts, I knew I had that love for boxing, for striking, for punching. Freddie was like, hey, he was he was contacted by somebody in the city because uh, he he was a, a professional fighter from Colton. And he said, hey, they're going to open up a gym in Colton. And he wanted me to come out there um, and help coach the kids. He was like, man, man, you can start this boxing program out. You can come help, help out coach. And then we can get you ready, started on your professional career if that's what you want to do. Did you want to go more on the MMA or you want to go more on the boxing? And but I just by then, for boxing. how much boxing experience did you have when you switched over from uh, Myrna Valley to Colton? By the time I switched over to Colton, I had zero boxing fights. But we we moved over to Colton in 2013. I joined that MMA gym in 2009. So that's what four three, years. four years, About four years, four mm -hmm. years of uh, of boxing experience, sparring and, and everything, coaching, but no. Sparring and everything. No competing though. Yeah, okay. no fights yet at that point in time. Uh, but that's that's kind of how it started. So those four years, and then after two years, that's when I started coaching kids and and coaching. As soon as I joined the fight team, I started helping out coaching little kids and and anybody that wanted like personal sessions. So that's when I started getting into the coaching aspect of it. Mm. Were you still so when you were uh? uh... I remember you were you were there at Colton. Were you still going back to ASG and training there as well, or at that point? Or you, or you were done with Colton, ASG? You were done with ASG. I was done with that. ASG. Mm. I was done with ASG at that point. So at that point, I had I didn't have I had zero boxing fights, but I did have four MMA fights. I had the opportunity. I went out to fight in uh, Utah, and I fought in Vegas twice, and I fought in Laughlin once. I had four fights. So I did start competing, but still no boxing fights, but I'll fight in the cage. And that was for uh, King of the Cage, for King of the Cage. Was this pro or, or amateur still? Amateur. 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 Okay. Yeah. How does the fighting in uh, MMA work for amateurs? I, I believe you guys don't wear headgear either, right? It's basically almost no. pro. It's basically pro, it's, pro rules, right? Absolutely pro rules. There's a couple rules that are like tweaked, um, but it's pretty much the same thing. There's a couple there's a couple maneuvers that you can't do, but it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, there's no protection. And it's, it's crazy because right when I got into the MMA game, um, I want to say maybe like two of my fights, they, they don't even count. They don't even show up on the record because uh, they're just called considered smokers. They're kind of, they were technically illegal. They just legalized 
the the amateur MMA. It was illegal. And then uh, California ended up getting it. Each state started to get on board because MMA started growing and uh, California legalized it. And then we started getting the ball rolling there. So, you know, a couple of my fights aren't even technically on the records. They just, they just threw you out there. You go right. out there, but the, the smokers, you're wearing, you're wearing the headgear and the shin protectors and everything. But the fights that I had, um, it was in a cage in front of a crowd. None of, no protection at all, man. It was like, just like the pros do. So ha having both boxing and MMA fights, what's the difference, if, if any? In, in the feeling, in the actual fighting, and the build-up to it, what's the difference? Big difference. Big difference, man. That's why I think it's so crazy now. Um, you see so many MMA guys trying to come over to box, and they realize it's a big difference. It's a big difference going inside of that, inside of that ring, and there's a big difference for those guys that box. That's why you don't really see those boxers going in the cage because they understand it's a lot of difference. Um, when I first went in MMA, I was a stand-up guy. Love punching. I love knocking people out. That's where my love was at. And in MMA, you know, you're going at it with somebody. They're, they're, they could throw kicks. They could throw knees. They could throw all of this stuff. So if I was ever in a position where, like, oh, snaps, you know what, this guy, he's just as dangerous as I am on my feet or I felt in danger, I have other outlets. Let me take them down. Let me wrestle them. And that's where the MMA part becomes super grueling because that's the part where it really gets you tiring, man, because MMA is a constant, a constant movement. You know, that wrestling, that grappling, the jujitsu, that stuff is what really wears you down. In boxing, there's a lot of time to rest, but you fight in spurts. But at the same time, boxing is just so tough because that's the only thing that you can do. If your hands ain't right, if you're not sharp, your technique ain't good, your speed ain't up, there's, you, can't rely on, you can't rely on your wrestling, you can't take somebody down, you can't kick them, you know? So it's, it's more mental there, um, but it's absolutely a, a, a battle. It is a battle, man, and that's the, that's the part that I love about boxing is just you might not be faster than the guy, you might not be more technical, but you got to start thinking of other ways. All right, let me set him up. Let me try to be, it's a, it's a chess match. It's, uh, let me get my timing. I'm not faster than this guy, but let me see if I can get the timing right on how he's throwing things. And that's what I love about boxing. And that's the bigger difference. I feel like it's tougher as a complete whole because you're very limited and you got to dig deep sometime and find out it's not about who has, who's the most athletic. It's going to come down to who has the most heart who has the most desire, who has the most will, who put in the most work. Um, and that's what I love about it. I like that analogy, man. The, the, uh, it's like chess, like a chess game, man. It really is, man. Me, me being a, a fighter as well, a, a pro boxer, I can totally agree to that, man, because you have to have some level of intelligence to be able to succeed in a fight, man. Like a lot of people, you know, what we call it, you know, the casual fans, They really don't know the sport, you know. They have really, 100%. they've never really competed in the sport, so they might they kind of see the sport from the outside, but they don't know how it feels to be inside. It's it's a whole different game game when you're in there, man. It's a whole different game, and I feel like intelligence plays a big part. You have to be smart. I believe the yes. greatest fighters are very have a very high IQ, 
Like they just know Absolutely. how to, they know how to critically think that they're, they're problem solve, solvers in there, man. That's really what it is. You're solving a problem in there. You know, a, a guy's coming at you with the, maybe with the right hand, you know, he's got a right hand. You got to be cautious of that right hand. You got to know how to, you know, protect yourself from the right hand, maybe slip it and, and, you have to have a counter after that. It's it's kind of like a absolutely yeah, man. It's a strategy you're building as the fight goes on. Plus, absolutely. you add like you said, the will, the courage, you know, the guts, all that's it's a it's the complete package. You know, the greatest fighters, uh, you know, most of them have the complete package because they can adjust to different shit. Absolutely, and that's what I that's what I hate. That's what I, I love and I hate about the fight game. Like you said, man, there's so many fans, and I'll use this. For instance, the Deontay Wilder fight last night and uh, Tyson Fury. Great fight, man. Um, great fight. Great fight. For sure. For sure. Very for sure. One of the. Yes. Yes. At the highest level, mm -hmm. you know, we see this. And I've seen so many people uh, dogging Wilder. Oh, he's horrible. He's sorry. He didn't know this. He didn't know that. That man lasted 11 rounds and went out on his shield, you mm -hmm. know, but that's all they expect. That's all they expect. Maybe it wasn't his best night, and clearly, you know, Fury is the the superior boxer. I believe but, so. Yeah, he proved it. But for them, yeah, he proved that. He proved that every single time. But like they said, Wilder had his moments. But for someone on the outside to just say, "Oh yeah, man, this guy, he doesn't know he's doing this and that," I would like to see y'all get in there and do that, man. I've been in the gym so many times where there's guys that come in, they're like, "Oh yeah, man, I I know how to fight, man. I I I got a couple street fights. I got a couple street fights," and you put them in that ring. It's a way different story, man. And that's the same with me, man. I remember when I first went in there, um, I was an athlete and I could throw punches. But now, 10 years, I've been in the game 10 years now, over 10 years. And I remember how long it took me to throw a, a correct hook. I could never throw that hook perfect. It took me two years before I started throwing it and like, wow, man, I, I don't know why it took me so long, but I, I know I didn't even feel comfortable throwing it during sparring and stuff because it's so technical. You have to be technically sound. You have to be, like you said, it's more mental. It's more mental. You have to be able to, people just think, all right, I'm going to throw this one, two, and it's, I'm going to throw it as hard as I can. But no, you got to be able to tell you yourself, throw that punch, keep this hand protecting yourself, switch your punches, use your hips work on those punches and still be able to protect yourself and understand what you're opening yourself up for every time you throw a punch you're opening yourself up for uh an attack so you know and that's what i think now as a coach and i'm being able to develop fighters and teach kids i understand that more than when i was fighting you know i just thought you know what i'm, I'm, I'm i hit hard i'm pretty fast i used to go out there and just try to hurt the person instead of being uh smarter you know and, mm -hmm. and think strategic when i go in there you know I, I just wish i could wish i could go back and and have those opportunities to do, to do things over right and you said as a coach i know you're a coach right now we'll get to that in just a second um yeah. but uh man you said it man all, all that all all the skills the what, what makes a good fighter is the practice man you said it, it took you two years to perfect you know your left hook you know, uh, it just comes with consistency. You have to keep practicing over and over and over again. And sometimes that's just going to get boring. But it's part of yes. the process, man. If, if if you want to be great, be good, be stand out in whatever it is you do, not just fighting anything. It takes practice, man. It really does. It takes practice. It takes experience. And, 
you just have to get to it. That's all it is, man. That's what yeah. I've learned. Two things that I always tell my students is, um, like you said, drillers make killers. The more you drill, the more you drill, it gets boring, but you'll, you don't feel it right when you're doing the drill. But I guarantee you, if you look at something three or four years later and you see yourself, you're like, wow, man, I kept drilling this, kept drilling this, kept drilling this, kept drilling this, and then it get embedded in your head, embedded in your memory, and it just becomes muscle memory and your body goes to that. So drillers make killers. And then also, um, you know, people always say, oh, practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. And I always tell my students, no, like practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice is what makes perfect. If you practice something wrong a hundred times, you're never going to do it right. Absolutely. But once you slow it down and you start per practicing it perfectly, that's what makes it perfect. You want to do it right. You don't want to practice something the wrong way. So that's something that I instill in all of my students and my son. That's great, bro. And it's hard because a lot of people are not willing to do it, practice it perfectly. It's It takes yeah. a lot, man. It's boring. It, hey, we've it, been there. Yes. I've been that gym, so I tell them all the time. I'm like, man, I know. Like, I go in there like, man, again, again, we're doing the, the, the kickouts. We're doing the back and forth again. Come on now. I've been mm -hmm. there, bro, a hundred times. So I, I always know. And that's what I love now that about being a coach. I've experienced it. So mm -hmm. I can tell them, man, I was there. I knew exactly what that felt like. So I understand them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to understand them. Uh, especially the young kids barely starting, you know, it's, it's something new to them. Um, mm -hmm. what I've, what I've, um, been trying to instill in myself is, is why not make it a bit more fun than what it really is. It might be boring, but you know, I'm, I'm starting to enjoy, enjoy it a bit more, you know, right. I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. Why not enjoy it? So I've, I've started to kind of like instill this self-motivation kind of self-talk uh just to enjoy the process man sometimes we get too caught up in the process and the process being hard which it will be but uh what if we just kind of change the perspective and enjoy it a bit more man uh i feel like that i feel like that'd be uh, of great benefit why would you want to suffer if you're able to enjoy it why not absolutely but that that, that that comes with with experience though that comes with experience and it comes with being bored at first you know you it, it's a process man it's, it's a process you have to you kind of have to learn to have some love for it if it's really what you want to do absolutely absolutely um it's so crazy to hear you talk about this man because i've really watched you grow into the man you are now and even as a fighter you know i've, I've seen you uh, i've been to the last couple fights you've had uh, before your injury and just to see where you've come and to even make it on the tv man super proud of you man but thank you the one thing i will say that day that me and freddie opened up that gym i remember we went to that practice and i seen you yeah and i started opening we started doing those little these little drills that were born very basic and I remember going to Freddie like, hey, man, we got somebody that's I think he'll be pretty good. He'll be pretty good. And that was you. You were that mm -hmm. little kid, man. You were in there. You were motivated. You worked hard. You never spoke a lot, man. You were very, very quiet, man. I didn't even yeah. know if you spoke English. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah, but you never said much, man. I remember I remember you was a super quiet kid. Um, and the crazy thing is you were there 
the gym, you were there for uh, a couple years. I seen you evolve. And then I remember right when you started getting older in high school, or maybe you were just finishing high school, you had disappeared for a little bit. It was during high school, then, my, my, like the last two years of high school. Okay. Yep. See, I, I so went you disappeared MIA, for a little bit. Yeah. You went MIA and then you came back. You was a little heavier. You was a heavy guy at that time too, man. Mm -hmm. I, I still got a picture of it, man. It's I was crazy. almost your size, man. I was almost your size. Yeah, he was almost my size. Yep, we <laughs> sparred, man. And I was like, man, look at how big Mike is, man. You was a little 13-year-old. And then you was actually, we actually became sparring partners for a little bit, man. We were yeah. actually working together. And mm -hmm. then um, you told me that day, you say, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to come in here and take this serious. And I said, Mike, you you always had the potential. And then you know what? You ended up doing it, man. What, nine and one now? Like, crazy crazy to even believe that i never even got to that level but that's why seeing you is what motivated me like man you know what there's so much talent out here and there's so much kids that just have to have the exposure to this stuff to actually see what they want to do i don't know where you went for like you said those two years that you left but i seen that potential in you then you ended up leaving something happened in that time frame where you was gone and you said you know what man i miss boxing i need to get back in there and you came back man and then you you've achieved stuff that many people would never even get to, you know? So that's something you can hold your head high on. But that's what I'm super proud of that, man. And that's what I'm hoping to get. I got a hundred kids in my program. Wow. If I can get three of them. Yeah. If I could get three of them to, to end up being professional fighters, it's good. Maybe they don't want to be a professional fighter. or Maybe they just want to do it for fun. Maybe they want to do it just to maybe end up being a coach or something, but to get them out the street and, you that's know, the important thing doing something positive that's the most important thing for me that's the most important thing for me man so like i said man i love how what you turned it into you know so super super proud of you bro thank you man thank you for the kind words i appreciate it man yeah. tell us a bit more about your 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 program that you have man how did that initiate when did it initiate okay so i started a non-profit uh boxing club the start of war boxing club the name Art of War came from uh, my fight name when I was doing MMA. Uh, my name is Art. I always go by Art. And like I said, I always tried to take pride. I always felt like I knew I came in later. I didn't have a lot of experience like a lot of the other guys did. But I always took pride in saying, you know what? When anybody fights with me or get in the ring with me, they're going to know it's going to be a war. And they're going to know it's not going to be an easy fight. So I took that name. They started calling out. Oh, that's the art of war right there, man. Cause when he gets in there, it's, it's going to be a war. Uh, so that's where the name came from. Uh, it's the art of war boxing club. So I started this program back in February in the midst of the pandemic. Um, this year, last year, 2020 or 21. This year, 21, this year, 2021. Okay. Um, the, I was inspired by it pretty much by my son. Um, this past two years with me working in law enforcement with the whole lockdown and then going through, um, since I'm being, a, since I'm a deputy sheriff going through the whole protest, black lives matters and all that stuff. There was so much stuff going on. I was so tied up with work and outside work. I felt like I wasn't giving my son enough time. Um, there were so many days my son was like, Hey dad, can we go to the gym? Can we go work out? Um, my son, he developed a love for that gym. I don't remember if you if you remember when you were in that gym oh, and already was so small. Yeah, he yeah, would be hitting the around. bags. He's hitting the with bags, us, trying to spar with us, with us, trying, trying to yeah. spar with us. Yeah, of course, I absolutely. Remember. So, uh, 
my coach, man, I didn't have a babysitter. So Freddie always used to tell me, bring your son in. We'll just let him roam around. So originally, I don't remember if you were there when I first used to just bring him in a car seat. I would just there. sit him in a car seat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he couldn't even walk. We just propped the bottle in his mouth. So then uh, he started walking. And the first thing he did was walk over to a cabinet and get some gloves and put them on. And all the parents used to tell me, look at your son, look at your son. And we all thought it was cute. You know, little, little, he started, he was walking at eight months. So he was probably like a year, year and a half picking up gloves. And everybody used to say, man, look at your son. He's going to hit the gloves. And then I started to notice once he started getting two or three, he's not playing around during practice. He's actually mimicking everything we're doing. He's trying to do the push-ups. He's trying to do the flutter kicks. He's trying to do everything we do. Um, so he actually grew up in the gym. Um, so in the midst of the pandemic, he asked me, hey, dad, I want to go to Colton. I want to go to the gym, see if there's any kids. I'm getting ready to fight. He just had turned eight, 2020. And um, the city, the, I mean, the, the nation went on lockdown for COVID. Um, so I said, man, you know what? I need to get my son out and about. And I want to get him involved because he wasn't even going going to school with any kids or anything. So I said, you know what? Um, all the gyms are closed. I'm going to take these kids out to a park. I offered five kids because I didn't want to have a big group of kids in an open environment. I just didn't think it was going to work out. So I ended up reaching out to a couple people and they say, oh yeah, you know what? I got, I want you to train my son. I want you to train my son. So uh, one weekend I took, the, took them out. I had five kids. One of them was mine, so four kids, and we we held the boxing class. I posted some pictures on Facebook, social media. The next week, had 10 kids. Following week, 20. And that's kind of what got everything started in the, in the boxing club. So it was all inspired by my son. And, you know, with me being from San Bernardino um, and with me being, I, I was working in that area in Highland. I know a lot of people out there and I wanted to give back something to my community and to the youth, uh, just because I know what boxing has done for kids. You know, I seen what it did when I was coaching kids. I remember what youth sports did for me growing up, helped me stay out of trouble. Um, so I wanted to give these kids the opportunity to do something and get out of the house, um, and kind of get back to some normalcy. Um, so they're just not in the house and, you know, not being able to socialize and things like that. So that's kind of how everything got started. Mm. That's great, man. You, you fucking seized the opportunity, man. And you made it, you made, you made the, the, you know, the downtime, the pandemic, uh, the best of it, man. That's, I congratulate you, congratulate you for that, man. I seen, I remember I seen that, I seen, um, I seen you post about it a couple months ago. I'm like, oh, damn. And yeah, it, like you said, it, it did start as something small. I remember you had pictures, you had maybe like, yeah, those five kids, five, six kids. I was like, all right, Art's yeah. doing something cool, man. That's cool. And, you know, like you said, you are you are helping the community in which you, where you grew up, grew up in, which is awesome, man. You know, you're giving back, you're giving back to to to, uh, to your community. That's that's something to be proud of, bro. Something to be very proud of. Yep. Congratulations. Yeah, man, I'm, bi- I'm, I'm big on that, bro. Thank you. Um, I'm big on that, man. I know it's, it's super tough in San Bernardino. Um, and that's pretty much what even got me to this career, being a cop. I wouldn't, honestly, I don't see myself being a cop in Miami, New York, 
any city, I wanted the opportunity to police my home, my hometown. You know, it's it's amazing for me to be able to go to calls and I'm dealing with, you know, people that I went to school with their kids or, you know, trying to bring justice to some of, of my my family, my friends, people that I actually know. It's a small world, man. So there's a lot of times I, I know people that have done things and I've had a lot of bad experiences with cops growing up in, in, in my neighborhood before I was a cop. And I said, you know what, man, I need to go ahead and, and be a part of the change. There's a lot of stuff that's going on and I want to be a part of that change and, and not, you know, sit back and, and complain about it. Was it difficult to, to achieve that, to be, you know, a law enforcer in the community you grew up in? Was it more, was it more easier or more difficult? Like, let's say, because um, how does that work? Like, would it would have oh. been easier if, if you were to, like, be working for a different city, a different county, maybe 50 so miles most down? People, yeah, so most people believe that um, you shouldn't work in the area where you live still, you know, because right. it puts you in an uncomfortable position. Right. Um, but one thing, one thing that I say on, on my behalf is that when I got my badge that I worked hard for, it never changed me. You know, a lot of people get that badge and they become power happy, you know, and they think that they just have the ability to tell people what to do. And they kind of forget the meaning of the badge. We're like public servants. We're here for the public. So it has not given me any issues because I can still go to the same neighborhood that I grew up in and everybody still respects me. But they also know that, hey, Art got a job to do. Um, have I had to arrest some of my friends? Yes, I have. How does that feel? Man? And they always knew. Um, it's an uncomfortable position, but it's always respect. Right. And at the end of the day, it puts them in a position. They like, oh, Art, you know what? Yeah, man, I fucked up, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it, man. This is me. I shouldn't have been doing this. And I then I talk to them, man, and it, and it, and I believe it. It's humbling for them to have a friend do it, you know, so that they're not looking at it like, and and, I, and that's why I also feel it puts me in a safer position because a lot of people are scared of the cops, don't want to talk to the cops and they feel like they're out to get hurt. And when I deal with people, I know they already kind of know me like, Oh, all right, man, you know what, man? Yeah. I hit, I hit her because she did this. And they're just more honest with me. And then I talk to them about it and try to help them become better people or, or fix their problem at hand. That's what it's all about. I didn't become a cop to, take someone to jail i came to cop to became a cop to help people you know and help them become better and and stuff like that it's not about about just having the power and and carrying a gun and being able to kill people or this and that it's it's all about really helping people about really serving my community that i live in and, and making it a better place for our kids my kids my friends my family right how has that approach how have so the results of that approach have they been positive or because the, the the approach you you just you just mentioned it's it's different from what uh i don't want to say a lot of cops but you know every every cop every officer has their i i'm guessing their own approach to uh yeah. this situation um absolutely does the approach you do uh has it had a positive results like do you see change in the people you might arrest or do the, do you like are they more understanding of 
you know, the crime they might have committed or, you know, uh, the position they're in? I believe so. Um, some people, like I said, some people just make mistakes. You know, some people just make mistakes. It doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. Uh, my father, he spent over seven years in prison, you know, just from making mistakes. Um, have plenty of family members. My mom has been arrested. I think I might be one of the only people in my family that has never been in, in, in jail for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand people sometimes make mistakes. And, you know, sometimes some cops don't understand that. I feel like because they just had a different upbringing, you know, and I think that's what's special about me. And that's what makes a good cop is someone that had can actually relate to the people and understand some of their mind frame and their logics when they're thinking or maybe being less fortunate and understanding why they're in certain positions, you know, but it's been very positive for me. At the end of the day, I respect everybody I come in contact with. Criminal, not criminal, kid, adult, anything. Respect is what takes you a long way. And that's why when I talk to somebody, um, they might be irate already. What the fuck are you doing here, man? It's fucking cop, blah, blah, blah. Then I say, hey, man, look how I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you respectful. I'm not coming over here disrespecting you. I'm not coming to you, talking to you like a kid. Talk to me the same way. And I would say the majority of my contacts, we always leave with an understanding, unless they're just drunk or under the influence, you know, because there are some people, you know, now that I've been a cop, there's just some people there is no talking to. There is no coming to common grounds with. They're just that fucked up. It could be a medical condition. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be anything. And then you obviously your approach changes, right? Absolutely. You're more aggressive. Everything. More, you know, your demeanor. Absolutely. absolutely. Because there's a time and a place for everything. Um, and at the end of the day, I do want to go home. I'm doing this job. I am willing to give my life, but I don't want to be stupid at the same time. I need to be safe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um that's another thing I, I understand. There's also, you know, there's guys that are good cops that are bad cops. And I do understand now there are times that you got to be that cop that you don't want to be sometimes, you know, and sometimes you you may have to pull a gun out and point it at someone. You may have to. Um, it's, it's, it's just, the, it's just the, the, the way of the game right now. It's just very dangerous. And in this time and in, in this day and time, everybody's having guns. There's a lot of illegal guns out on the street. Um, it's a lot of gang activity, especially in, in my neighborhood. There's, there's, it's a lot of bad people out there. Just like there's bad cops, there's a lot of bad people out there. And the normal person doesn't understand how much crime is going on because they're not answering these calls every day. It is crazy. It's crazy. There's stuff happening all the time. There's shootings. There's real victims out there that, you know, actually need us. And that's why I find it crazy and then funny when, you know, people are saying defund the police because there's going to be nobody here to answer these calls. You know, not everybody. I grew up in my household. We never called the cops for anything. Thinking about it now in hindsight, there were some times that we probably should have called the cops growing up, but we didn't. But now I see other families now that I go to this house and I'm like, man, I might have saved this kid's life from you know this abuse from his parents i might have saved this lady's life from the abuse from her husband you know or you know just there's actual crime going on out here nonstop, you know and i know it's a big part my job is a big part in how important i am and how needed i am in the community 
Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of cops um, have a certain demeanor to them. Sometimes out of fear, man. Like, I'm sure that job, you there has to be, you have to feel some fear within, within when, when you're on clock, right? It, that's like a must, right? It, it's yes. a dangerous job, man. It's a dangerous job. Um, and, you know, maybe some people don't know how to react to that emotion. And it's easier to be aggressive than to, you know, be more, Absolutely. Say, you know, be, be more in a way, I guess, nice, you know? It's, Absolutely. I, I, I believe I, it's, it's a mechan it's a defensive mechanism mechanism, I would say. Like yeah, you said, you, I believe that, y'all trying to go home. Y'all trying to go home, like you said. And that's what I was gonna tell you. Like I believe that a lot of the shootings that have happened is because some of those cops are just that scared. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't say if I was in that situation that I would have pulled the trigger, but then you know, I, I'm really not in that position to to speak and say, but I can say that I've had some situations that where, you know, uh I'm telling a guy to show me his hands and you know, if he doesn't show me his hands and he's doing this, it's going to have my alert. I'm going to be on extra high alert. Of course. And if a person's like this, you know, because hands kill, it's hard for somebody to hurt you if you can see their hands and stuff, you know? Um, but I believe that a lot of these officers, they have not been put in that um, position. And what people, you know, really fail to understand is that these officers have a like split second to make, a decision sometimes you know now they could be chasing after somebody and somebody might have a gun right and let's say the guy is just trying to get away and he's not even trying to hurt the cop but he's grabbing the gun just to throw it but the cop sees him grab the gun and he sees that that's what his brain is triggering that he's got the gun so how does he know the person's not going to stand turn around and shoot or if he's trying to throw it away you know realistically the guy's probably just trying to throw it away he had that split second decision to make so it's a tough position for anybody, man. It's probably, it, it is the toughest job out there, I believe. It's probably the toughest job out there to do, man, because, you know, you have to make a life-changing decision, you know, um, that quick, mm-hmm. that quick, man. And I know, I always told myself, man, before I ever pull a trigger, I'm going to make sure it's to save my life or to save somebody else's life. Other than that, I don't want to be a cop that ends up shooting somebody and because I thought they had a gun because there was a wallet or because of something like that, you know, they were holding their cell phone, you know, I could not do that. I want to make sure I'm a hundred percent, but it's tough, you know, just in the day and age we got, cause there's a lot more people. They don't really respect law like they used to, you know? And I think that back in the day, law was probably more corrupt than it is now, you know, because now like things are changing. We got body camera footage. And I think that, you know, they're starting to hold people accountable. Um, back in the day, they could pretty much say whatever they wanted to say. There was no camera footage. People didn't have camera phones and it's just, you know, your word against theirs. Right. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing. That's what started this whole protest. And that's why I was, I, uh, a part of it, I was supportive of the protest because that's one, that's our right as humans in the United States to be able to protest. Um, But I I understood what it was about. And I feel like just because they're a cop, they shouldn't be able to, if they do something wrong, they shouldn't be able to just get a slap on the hand and walk away. 
there should be accountability. You know, if there's if they could prove that there was something done injustly, there should absolutely be accountability. And I think that's what black people or just people in color in general um, were upset about. It's just no accountability um, with cops just getting off, still getting paid, and then you see that they're not being charged for things or they're not losing their jobs. Um, and, you know, people were just tired of it. Years of, of years of years of years of oppression and, and mistreatment um, by the people that are supposed to protect and serve, you know? So that's the, that's the whole tough part of the job, you know? It just comes with the job. Mm -hmm. I feel like these, uh, these stereotypes of, you know, of different people of, of different color and race, you know, play a big part as well. Don't you think? Like absolutely all the outside noise, you know, cops get to hear from other people. Like, I don't know, like you said, in a situation where your life is in danger, you know, all that outside, all those outside voices, you know, can, can fuck with your mind. You know, that what absolutely. if, what if those stereotypes are right? I'm not saying that they are or they aren't, but what if, you know, when, when yeah. your life, when your life is, is, you know, is on the line, then it, it's 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 hard to deal with those with those thoughts in a split second. Right. I believe that I believe that there are uh stereotypes that people, you know, they just take and run with, you know. But I it's just you can't tie everyone to that stereotype. You just can't. It's funny because there are some there are a lot of stereotypes that are true. And it's kinda like funny almost, you know. Yeah. I'm a black person, I, I love watermelon. Mm -hmm. I love watermelon, but my son doesn't, it's not his fit. He doesn't like watermelon, you know, but mm -hmm. it's, there's a lot of black people that do like watermelon, you know, mm -hmm. and just little things like that, um, that people that get you doubting. That's why that's what I'm saying. Yes, they get yeah. you doubting. Yeah. They get, get you, you doubting, doubting, man. Get and, you thinking. And, uh, you know, even me, man, I, I, I do say there's a little bit of stereotype in the job and it just has to be like, kind of, um, and it's, it's hard to say because there's certain areas you go, if you go to like Temecula or something and you hear there's uh, a group of guys hanging out and you think, you know, they're doing something and you go into this neighborhood and it's a clean neighborhood and you have, you know, four white guys, you know, hanging out maybe. Are you going to handle that situation different than you go into one of these neighborhoods of San Bernardino and we got, you know, four black guys, you know, the perception is everything pads yep. sagging rags mm -hmm. hanging out the back that's what i'm saying know, yeah baggy clothes or you go to a predominantly hispanic area the guy's tattooed all over his face shaved head you know uh gangs in his head you got to absolutely hang up handle those areas differently you, you got to take that just, into consideration just, it, you have to you have to you, you have know to, and, yeah. and if you don't if you don't you're not knowledgeable enough to do the job if you think that you handle all of those situations the same you're wrong and you shouldn't be doing the job because that's what's going to get, you know, a person in trouble. You know, mm -hmm. you have to be able to, to ad adapt to your environment and be able to say, okay, you know, this is, I see red flags here, or you know what, this is okay. You can't pull over. You can't pull over the old lady the same way you pull over somebody with, with four, four guys in a car, you see smoke coming out the car, be loud music and you go over to the lady the same way. Hey, put your hands out the window. You, you don't need to do all of that. Yeah. Maybe if it's a stolen vehicle, maybe stuff like that, you got to take into consideration. But for the most part, you got to be able to adapt to know your surroundings, know your audience, know who you're dealing with, you know? Mm -hmm. 
um, I'm, I'm very, very, that's a, a thing about me, man. I can, I'm a, a type of person. I can hang around a group of educated, smart people. Sophisticated people. Going to a sophisticated people. Go to a, a gang neighborhood, hang around the same guys. They'll never even know. I went to a, uh, I'll never forget. I went to a, uh, what was it? It was a graduation party. One of my boys threw, and of course, one of my boys from San Bernardino. I went there. Group of guys there, there all talking about smoking weed and just doing stuff, you know. And then my boy, he says, "Hey, man, um, yeah, what you call it?" He said he seen you in West Valley, and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I seen him in West Valley, man, probably like two two months ago." And West Valley is a correctional facility, so the guys is like, "Oh yeah, man, what you do? Why are you in West Valley?" Like, man, I work in West Valley, mm-hmm. and they like, what? Oh, and they like, this nigga's a cop. Uh-huh. What? We... <laughs> and it was just funny. Everybody mm-hmm. starts laughing. They're like, you ain't no cop. Let mm-hmm. me see your badge. Like, you don't talk like a cop. You don't dress like a cop. You don't look like a cop. You ain't no cop. They didn't believe it. You know, but they was, I was there for hours having regular conversations with these guys. And it never, it never hit, it never questioned them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but those those are the crazy things, you know. Those are the, the simple things. Like I told you, stereotypes. Everybody has some type of stereotype, even when they say they don't. You might not uh, even some type of bias. Everybody's biased. People say that they're not biased, but we are. It, it's imagine, human nature, man. It's human nature. It's man. human nature. Come it on, is man. Human nature. It could be something. It could be something as simple as uh, drinking soda. I like Coke. You like Pepsi. But I can say, oh no, nah, man, Pepsi's not that good, right? That's my bias towards Pepsi. For what re- for every reason, I don't like it mm-hmm. as much as I like Coke, but the next person might, you know, and that's just what it is. It could be something as little as that, you know, but that's just human nature. What so. it is, man. I, I feel like it's there's like emotion t- attached to it. A- yes. Attached to, to that. It's just an emotion you have towards that thing, that that soda or whatever, Pepsi. It's just an emotion that that that's tied to it, man. And um sometimes it's hard to 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 detach yourself from them at emotion that emotion especially yep. if you grew up drinking that or doing that or you know what's part of, sometimes it's not even stereotype sometimes it just has to do with your culture you know yep. there's absolutely you know i i I'm, i come from from mexican background my parents are mexican you know there's mexican stereotypes but at the end of the day most of them are are uh it's it's culture man like in birthdays we, fucking, we have pinatas we most likely have tacos. Uh, you know, yeah. we listen to a like it's culture, man. Like I wouldn't even some some of the stuff isn't stereotype. It's just culture. That's how we grew up. Absolutely. That's how we got brought man. up, man. I told my wife the other day we went to a sushi bar. It was black people making the sushi. I said I'm not eating at that sushi spot. But that's not it's a, it's a, it's a form of bias. It doesn't mean I'm a racist or nothing. But I felt it was weird to not have my Asians <laughs> to have Asians making making the sushi for me because right. it's, that's Chinese food, you know. Uh-huh. I think it would be funny if you go to a, 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 a Mexican authentic Mexican restaurant and you have all Asians there cooking the food. Mm-hmm. You'll look like what the heck? This something's not right here, you know. But that's just mm-hmm. not that's not that doesn't mean you're racist or nothing. It's just like you said, it's a. Uh, stereotypes and it's just sometimes about culture yeah so same thing you said man Uh uh-huh and i feel like everybody has their choice like you said like you you have the choice to eat there or not like it doesn't make you racist if you don't want to eat there like it's just it's not what you want absolutely is there there anything bad with that no I, i want to eat at a mexican place where mexican people are making the food that's just your choice that doesn't 
But I Absolutely. feel like, like I said, I feel like a lot, of, a lot of people have their emotions attached to that. And that's why they, they, they get all, I don't know, hurtful or sentimental about it. I don't see a problem in it. Yeah, ab- absolutely, man. It's a lot of emotion now, man. I think social media plays that part, man, because now everybody has an opinion. You know, everybody has opinion on every single thing in the world. You know, and these are probably people that probably would never even say stuff. You know, there's people that would, you would, you post something and then they would always jump on there and say something. But in person, they would never even say that. They're not even a vocal person, but you know, Social media has made it like that to where everybody has an opinion or has some different input. And with this being the great American and uh, and the world, everybody has their right to their own opinion. We just have to be able to respect it and move on, you know? Mm -hmm. This is my kind of like my standpoint on that, bro. If, If you dare not say it in person in front of people, don't say it behind a keyboard. Absolutely. That, that, I stand that, by that. I stand by that, man. Like, if you want to say it with your buddies in a public setting, don't say it behind the keyboard. That's just kind of just something what I, what I, what I stand by, man. What I live by, man. Like, before even like on on IG, like before commenting something on 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 a page or on a video or on an image I see, I'm like, hmm, would I say that? Would I say this to the person, you know, head on? And if that's a no, then I don't post it. And if it's a yes, I post it. Most of the time, it's a yes because I, I, I like to give my opinion, man. And my opinion is just my opinion. You don't have to like it, you know. Absolutely. And I, I never, I also, I, I'm big on respect as well. Just like you are, like you mentioned earlier, like I'm always respectful with my opinion. You may not like it, but it's a respectful opinion. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? You're 100%. 100%. Yeah, man. How's Artie, man? How's your son? How old is he now? Nine? Uh, Artie is, yeah, he's nine years old. He'll be 10 in March, man. So uh, things is good with Artie, man. We are trying to get him prepared for nationals. You know, he's been doing this boxing thing. Like I said, he's the inspiration behind everything, man. And he has a real desire to do this, man. It's not, you know made and he has a lot of he has a lot of talent man i think he can go far he'll be so much better than me he'll be so much better than me so when you uh before this pandemic he has zero fights man and he has uh two fights now um great competition he fought against uh some of the top guys that are ranked in the nation right now he haven't went to a national tournament but he's he sparred against some of the guys that are top in the nation right now top 45 pounder uh a top 55 pounder a top 60 pounder and he holds his own um his first fight he fought his very very first fight he fought a guy from nevada number number five in the nation and i believe already won that fight man you know in amateurs uh guys don't always win the fights that should win the fights but Mm -hmm. it was an extremely competitive fight it wasn't a robbery um it could have went Either way, but for that to be his fight, man, his first fight, man, and for him to fight somebody on that level that already had fights and experience, um, it's a great experience for him, man. I told him, like, right now, the amateurs don't mean anything, you know. It's just get that experience, and uh, he he loved it, man. He has fun, and he has that hunger to to get back in the ring already. So that's where we're at with Artie, man. It's it's uh, I'm, I'm loving life because of him. I'm loving life because of him. That's awesome. How how was he mentally before that fight? 
was was he was he right? How'd you see him? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So the story with him, he's already has been so ready for this moment for a long time. Um, like I said, because he's a little bit advanced than your average nine year old as far as boxing because he's been around it his entire life. The kid watches YouTube all the time. He's always googling YouTube and fights, um, and he's uh, he's an athlete. You know, he works hard. So before the fight, the buildup for the fight, um, he ended up cutting five pounds that week. I didn't even want him to cut pound, cut weight for his first fight because he's a growing kid. Mm-hmm. And he's like, nah, dad, I want to try to go 55s. And he was weighing 59 that week. In five days, he cut, cut weight. That's amazing for a kid to do. He was dieting on his own. I told him what not to eat, what he could eat, um, what the times to eat to go run the guy goes out runs two three miles a day with me um and he was able to cut that weight extremely extremely confident during his fight he looked very composed in there he did not look nervous um first round like i said it was his first time it was a big tournament it was a lot of people there um he wasn't as active as he should have been and i think that was the difference in his fight um and then the next two rounds he snapped out of it and was he was going off and um after his fight, when he didn't win, because that's the first fight, his first fight he lost, he was very, very down on himself, man. I did not uh, see that on him. I just, I didn't know, I didn't know he would react like that. But he was hurt, you know. He was hurt. He felt like he won the fight. That's why he said he was hurt, um, not because he lost. He said he just felt like he won and he gave everything he had. And I told him, hey, this is part of the game. You have wins, you have losses. Sometimes it's left in the judges' hands, and especially at the amateur you know there's there's judges for a reason but i said man we take this and we bounce back so a week later he comes gets his second fight and he goes out there and he kicks ass you know mm-hmm. he didn't let it he didn't let it i, I felt like that was a turning point in his life because he lost his first fight after all the hype he had and all the excitement that he had for the fight he lost that first fight it was against a solid solid opponent he could have said you know what i want to i don't want to box no more i want to take some time off or anything Six days later, we go to another tournament. He goes out there, kicks ass, man, gets his first win, and he gets that monkey off his back, and he's just excited and just and happy to be here, man. So that is the thing that I love, like I said, about boxing, that it's it's building his character, you know? It's teaching him not to quit. It's teaching him to keep fighting no matter what, you know? Um, since I made this boxing program, my son was – Originally, during the pandemic, he was very quiet, you know. Um, he's taking a leader role and a more of a coach role now because none of the kids in my program have ever boxed. They have zero boxing experience. So they see Artie out there. They see him. His punches are sharp, his movement. And they're like, man, how long has this guy been boxing? How old is he? And um, they're always surprised when I tell them. Always surprised. And um, he's taking a leadership role. He stretches my kids out now. I don't even go out there to stretch them. He'll go out there, lead the kids in stretches. If ever he sees anybody doing something wrong, he says, hey, come here. He crit- he's over there critiquing them and holding mitts and trying to help them become better, you know. And this is nine years old, a nine-year-old doing these things already. Um, so he, he's, he's, man, he just makes me proud. And the stuff boxing is doing for him, the confidence, you know, the work ethic. It's giving him, it's, it's making him, it's giving him something to want to work for. Um, that's what this program is about. And for me to have my son a part of that, 
just makes it that much special. That's the beauty of boxing, man. It builds, I call it men mental calluses, man. You know, for, for me, I I stayed away from the streets and boxing is a big part of it. You know, because in the streets, like, you get tested as well, man. It's rough out there. You get tested Absolutely. as well. So, but I, I made a, a, a smarter, a healthier decision to be tested by boxing itself and not the streets. So that's where I... That's where that's where I built most of my calluses, in a, in a boxing ring, you know, yes. in competition, in training, in dieting, in sacrificing. So that's the beauty of it, man. And and I and I and I, I really saved or made the made the better of my time, you know, because in 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 the streets you don't know what can happen, you know, you don't know what can happen. It makes you tough in a way, yeah. but you you just don't know, man. The outcome of of the streets, man. You just don't know. Prison, jail, drugs. I've lost addiction. so many. I've lost so many friends personally, man. Just lost two friends this week. Two friends this week, man. Both of them got shot. You crazy. know, um, crazy. Both of them kids have kids, and to have them leave them behind now, that's avoid these kids are going to have missing. And now that's a fight that these kids are going to have to deal with their entire life, living their life without, you know, their father, you know, it's, it's tough, man. It's tough. Yeah, man. Boxing. I see so many kids that don't make it. I see, I see so many kids that don't make it. Like it's you said, sad, man. man. I see so many kids. It's sad. It's really sad. Um, but that's the beauty of, of, of boxing and just sports in general, man. You know, it, it, it builds us up. It builds us with some, some sort of character, but it's something more beneficial to us, to our life, than just hanging out in the street, you know? Yep, absolutely. That's why I, I, I opened the program up um, free. I didn't want there to be no excuse for the kids to say, you know what, I can't afford that. And I've taken kids, like when we were teaching kids at Colton, we only took 10 and up. Um, I opened it up to seven because I wanted to start them off young. I know the better you, the sooner you d develop it, it's tougher for them to become boxers. Like I said, but the, the program's not for me to, it's not, I'm not a promotional company. I'm not, these guys aren't fighting. It's not everybody's fighting. Who do I want to be the best? The thing is to develop these, these men and women to become better humans and develop skills that they can use in their everyday life outside of, outside of boxing, you know? Uh, boxing just touches so many different aspects of life that you know you'll need whether it's being a leader whether it's health and fitness whether it's important. um yeah whether it's just confidence whether it's self-defense you know you can use boxing for almost anything almost man that it's played such a major role in my life in general and um you know that's why i say it's, it's amazing man that's why i'm glad i have this opportunity to do this for my hometown for my city for these kids it's amazing, man. I love boxing, love whatever it may be, but boxing, it, it touches everything. It really does, man. It changes lives. It saves lives. Yep. Let me ask you this. Go ahead. I want to ask you a question, man, because it was big. Like I said, man, you're uh, someone I respect and I've, I've watched grow. One of my first students, man, of that entire group, you're the only one that became professional, actually mm -hmm. fighting the ring. Where'd you go for the two years and then what made you 
come back to boxing? What led you back to boxing? Those two years that you were MIA, mm-hmm. what happened? What was going on in your life and what made you come back? You know, I I just started hanging out with the wrong with the wrong crowd. Um party and bullshitting, man. That's where I went. Party and bullshit. It's funny you said. It's funny you say that, man. I remember looking at one of your social medias, and I remember telling Coach, like, "Man, Mike is out somewhere drinking. I think it was like a Corona or something. You post a picture of like Corona or something. Mm-hmm. Like, like out here drinking, man. It's so crazy. I know. I know it's different culture because I know that's not big, man. Like Hispanic, man, they drink young age, man. You can go to Mexico and drink mm-hmm. ten years old or whatever, man. But I looked at him like, man, Mike is out here drinking, man. Mm-hmm. And you came back. You had your beer belly. And you were like, man, all right, I'm about to get, I'm about to get focused, man. About to get focused. About to get serious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dropped it down, had the six pack, man. So you're just hanging around the wrong crowd, and what brought you back to the gym? What was it? What triggered you that said, you know what? Let me get in the gym. There was like different scenarios in my life that kind of, they were kind of eye openers. I've said this. I don't know if I've said this here on on my podcast or or. As a guest on another, I think it was I think I was on a uh, a guest on a different podcast. But uh, basically, in short terms, I would kind of I, I would still want to box, man. Like it was it was still in my mind. It's not like I was out partying and bullshitting, and it's just like fuck boxing. Now, like deep down inside, in my soul, in my heart, like I still wanted to box, but I was just yeah. too I was just too caught up not boxing, doing other shit. But I still wanted to box. And uh, I'm a big, I'm, I'm, I'm real big on, on, how do I say, on visions, bro. Like, I'm real big on, on God, on life, on the universe, giving you signals and giving you signals as to what you should do or decision, decisions you should take. So I, I started seeing like signals, man, in my life telling me to go back to the gym for example, one of them being um, when I left, I was working at a at a warehouse, and I was looking. I was working for Berl- Burlington, Burlington at a warehouse, and I was uh, in the shipping department. And my job was to pick up 50, 70, 80 pound uh, packages and load them up into the trailer. I would do that for ten hours straight, from two p from from two p.m. to uh, twelve midnight. Monday through Friday, and I would do that, man. I was there for about six months, and between those six months, um, one day, um, I just started like thinking, man. Like, I would, I would just, I would just, cause I, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big thinker, man. Like, I'm always thinking. Sometimes I zone now, and people are like, "Hey, Mike, are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm just thinking." So uh, these thoughts started coming to my mind, man. Of, of, I kind of. Um, compared what i was doing to boxing itself so for example um it was kind of weird i was like damn i'm I'm really lifting these packages up and 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 placing them in the trailer and i seen myself as a as a boxer like actual warehouse boxer like what i was doing is i was placing these packages these boxes boxes into a trailer so i'm like damn i categorize myself as a boxer and I kind of just connected that with the actual sport of boxing, like me being a boxer. I know it's a crazy, weird connection, but that was a connection I had. I was like, damn, I'm really being a boxer at a warehouse 
when I could be a boxer in the ring. So that was just kind of like a little a little connection I made. But I feel like that was just life for God giving me that thought to make that connection. Another one yeah. I have is another one I have is uh you know DC, right, Daniel? Yep. One of my friends, he uh he invited me to go run to uh to Mount Mount Rubidoux, Mount Rubidoux. Uh, sometime late at night, and uh, this was after I had the whole, um, after the event of the whole box, the boxer thing, maybe like two or three weeks after. And uh, long story short, he invited me. He said, "Hey, bro, I'm, I'm gonna go out for a run uh, to uh, to Mount Ruby Doe. You want to come through?" I'm like, "Sure." We went, went for a run. We chatted up a little bit. We talked. You know, we he brought up boxing, the gym, and he actually told me that he was thinking of going back to the gym. And I was like, oh, that's dope, bro. That's cool. Because uh, he had left the gym as well. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's cool, bro. Go for it, man. And then I was like, damn. It kind of made me miss the gym a bit more, man. So I got home, showered, started ta- you know, thinking about it as well, bro. I was like, damn. These are two signals already, man. You know? I got, I got, I got, I'm, th- I'm thinking about fighting. I'm thinking about boxing. I got a friend hitting me up not too, not too long after about, you know, going back to the gym. And there's a third one too, man. There's a third one too, another third event that kind of just solidified me going back to the gym. And I don't think I've said this one. Um, and this was, um, you ain't going to believe me, bro. He probably doesn't even know either. Uh, remember Carlos, you know, Carlos. Carlos from Movell. I forgot, I forgot his last name. Carlos Mesa. Him, yeah. I think it's Mesa. Him. Uh, like a week or two after that, about uh, where when I went to run, I I went to the DMV. I forgot what I was doing at the DMV. I think it was just getting like new plates or some shit. The one in Riverside, uh, close to Marana Valley. And uh, I seen him. I don't think he's seen me though. I seen him from afar. I seen him from afar, and. Obviously, Carlos, for my audience, he he was a uh, he was a gym partner too. He would train at the gym in Colton, and uh, I seen him from afar, and I was like, "Damn, like, what's up with these events? You know, like all these events, like, kind of like, were they trying to tell me something, or what's going on?" That was my kind of standpoint on that. Like, what's up with these events? Like, what are these like coincidence? I don't believe in coincidences, bro. And I'm like, "Damn." I'm like fuck. I, I need to hit up Freddie, my coach. So I hit him up. That instance, man, while I was waiting in the, in the, uh, right there at the DMV, where I, while, I, while I was sitting down, and I hit him up. I texted him. I still had his number. I'm like, hey, coach, what's up? How you doing? He's like, not much, man. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm good, man. And I was like, like straight up, I was just like, hey, when can I go back to the gym? And he's like, hey, I'm ready when you are. And I'm like, cool. I'll be there Monday. And sure thing, man, I was there. I think the DMV, I went, it was like a Wednesday. And I showed up Monday to the gym. That's when I came back. I think you were there too as well. Mm-hmm. Boom. And then from there, it's history, man. I came back and I was just focused, bro. But what I'm trying to get at is I feel like life, if, if you truly want to do something, like deep down, and you, although you may be doing different shit in your life, but you still want to do something, I feel like life, or maybe it's just your own brain looking for Let's call them excuses or reasons to go back and do whatever you were doing. And I feel like those three, and there's, there's lots more, but those are the most, those those three are like the most, the ones that stick to me. 
that kind of told me or gave me the the excuse, the reason to go back to the gym. And so I did, yeah. man. After that, I trained for like a year, I think. And then I competed at, at the Desert Showdown, uh, a weight class higher than the one I used to. Go. I competed in 152, I believe. And I would fight at 141. So that was the... Yeah. I was, you was, you was, I was 170 when you came back, man. Yeah, little, I, back that I, day, man. I was like 165, I think. 164. Yes. But I was big, man. I was mm. big. I was the biggest I've ever been. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I competed I at 152. Picture, yeah. It's, it's still on my IG as well. And yeah, I competed at 152 at, at the show. Uh, I lost. The other guy was a big boy. Uh, I held my own, but I lost, man. He... I think he actually was the one who broke my nose, man. I remember he he hit me clean on the nose, and and then blood just splattered everywhere. And uh, pretty sure I didn't go to a doctor or anything, but I'm pretty sure it was broken, man. And uh, yeah, from there, I think that was my that wasn't my last amateur fight, but it was it was my my fight when I came back. And then I had like another two or three fights, and then I turned pro after that. Yeah. I specifically remember one of your amateur fights, man. Uh, I only seen one of your amateur fights, and uh, it's crazy because I'll never forget. That's the first time Artie seen a fight, and Artie said, "You know what? I I can't wait till I get in the ring." He told me that at that age, you had blood on your shirt. You got white beater. Where's that? Uh, the Highlanders gym. Oh, okay, you won. I have that picture. You won. Yeah. I had yeah, a little trophy. You, yeah. you had your little trophy. Yeah, there's you a gave picture. Artie the trophy, man. Yeah. And there's a picture with Artie, man. Yeah. Uh, I show Artie that picture all the time, man. Even when you when you got to fight on uh, ESPN, I was like, look, man, this that that's Mike, man. And he's uh -huh. just like, hey, Mike, Mike made it, man. I I, I can't wait till I'm there. You know? Yeah. Those is those are, things like that, man, it's amazing for me, man. Just yeah. to see see the growth, man. And that's why I'm glad you came back. Just to see stuff like that, man. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, man. It's whatever brought you back, like you said, you have your story. Yeah. And it brought you back. I know you're supposed to be the one asking the questions, man, but nah, I always man. thought about that, man. Nah, I always thought cool. about that, man. What nah, ended man. up bringing you back, man, once you left? Because most kids, once they leave, they don't come back. Mm -hmm. They don't come back, man. And the thing about you, Mike, was you wasn't the fastest, you wasn't the strongest, but your will, man, and technical. You were so technical man like you remind me of mikey garcia that's a, the crazy thing i always told freddie because mikey you look at mikey he, he don't he's not super fast he's not super anything nothing spectacular but he does everything well like he almost has no weaknesses man he's just you know he does everything good man always in the stance and i just always remember you and i used to remember there was a point man and you don't even notice because i've never talked to anybody about this but uh we were sparring and when I sparred with you guys, I was always the bigger guy. So I never, I, I'm one of those sparring partners that I'm not a guy that's trying to hurt my sparring partners. I was a guy that always tried to work with my guys, but there was a point where me and you started sparring and you hit me with a straight left and it was fucking Chris. And I said, okay, I'm going to have to fucking step it up on him now. And then I remember that entire session. I said, all right, I can't let him hit me with that. It was fucking sharp. And you kept firing him. Boom. Oh, and I was just, it was like the most, it was almost like an actual fight to me because how technical you were with it, how sharp you were, man, being Southpaw and just, but it was, it was deadly. I said, man, this kid's getting good. He's getting good, man. Like I, I can't do that. Okay. I'm going to go light on him anymore. I got to fucking 
pick it up because he's going to catch me slipping, man. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I remember you hit me. I remember, I'll, I'll never forget, you hit me with a wake-up call one time, man. And I said, man, I'm fucking 30 pounds heavier than this kid. And I felt it, man. That mm-hmm. That's that's like a middleweight punch right there, man. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but that's when I knew you were special, bro. Like I said, man, you have sometimes, you know, it doesn't have to be anything spectacular. You don't have to have the Mayweather defense, the Canelo power, the Mike Tyson power, that style. You just did the basics and you did everything the way you were supposed to do it, man. You were a complete boxer. Complete, man. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Yeah. But yeah, man, I've, I've, you know, most of the credit I, I have to give to, uh, you know, Freddie, you know, coach Freddie, he, he, he's a real fundamental guy, you know, amateur boxing, straight punches, footwork. Um, of course I added my flair to it as well. Right. But, uh, you know, I actually, I actually learned how to box with, with coach Freddie, uh, the fighting anybody can do, anybody can scrap, but you know, I think the foundation, I think, I think amateur boxing foundation is, uh, is underrated, man. Once you got the fundamentals down, that's when you fucking start adding the flashiness and you know your style yep. and and everything. But I but I, I believe the fundamentals are important, man. Your one, your two, your footwork, your pivoting, your slipping, your weaving. Yep. Like, that's just like the basic shit, you know, the basic shit. Because when when you're down on your luck, when you're dazed, when you you're hurt, hard. when you're hurt, you know that's that's what that's all you got. You can't look flashy when you're hurt. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So you go, you go back to the jab. You go back to your footwork, and uh, I feel like I got that. And little by little, I'm you you know, evolving into a different fighter. I'm still evolving as 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 it is, man. Like I don't think you ever stop evolving in this sport. Look at Canelo, man. Never. Canelo's always Never, adding man. something to his arsenal. Always, always. I yep. think that's what, I think that's what makes him great. He's always adding something to his arsenal. Yep, absolutely, man. He's gotten so so great over the years i remember uh, the first fight i seen him was shane mosley and i knew he was going to be good um but to see the stuff that he's accomplished and the stuff that he's done man he's it's been great absolutely man tell us um how can how can to wrap up now how can kids you know parents who listen to this can sign up their their kids to your program if you have any spots available do you? How do you work? Yeah, that? so I do. I do two. Um, I hold my classes in two sessions. Uh, I'm from San Bernardino, uh, so that's why I hold a, a session out there. But I actually move. I live in Beaumont now, um, so I do a class for Beaumont Banning area and on uh, Sunday mornings, and then Sunday evenings we do it at um, for San Bernardino and Highland. Uh, anybody that's interested, they can contact me on uh, Instagram or on Facebook. Uh, we have a page, Art of War Boxing Club. Um, if you put those on the search, if even if you put on a search on Google, the Facebook will pop up and Instagram will pop up. It's Art of War Boxing Club. For sure. I'll go ahead and uh, write that down here on the description for the for this episode, man. So I got you. But uh, okay, man, that's good. Great info. Um, ages, do you have any selected ages you allow? ages seven and up um and the reason why i say seven man because i've been getting hit up with a lot of parents and they always say man 
Um, you know, I have a four-year-old, I have a five-year-old. They're always beating up on their uh, uh, brothers or sisters. But boxing is just so more complex than people think. And because I'm in a group setting, um, a five-year-old, a four-year-old could learn, but it has to be like a one-on-one setting. It won't work in a group setting. And like we were talking about the drilling and the stuff, it gets boring for them very, very quick. Mm. Um, so I've tested out a couple five, six-year-olds and it's very, very difficult for them to get it, you know? So I always do seven and up. If you can't wait, um, if you want to try to do like a personal session, you could contact me and we could try to arrange something there. Um, but seven and up is um, the age limit. And up, do you mean up to 18 or, or can you go over 18 as well? You can go over 18. Okay. The whole plan is at this moment, I don't have a gym. Um, I started the nonprofit. I'm doing all my paperwork and stuff. The plan is to open up a gym in San Bernardino. And uh, by the time I get that, um, you know, I'll be willing to do, do uh, focus more on adults and stuff right now. It is, I don't have anyone that's over 18 in the program right now. Um, but that's just because I just don't have the gym yet. But once I get the gym going, it's just like you, Mike. Once you started at that gym, that, that gym in Colton, we were only doing 10 to 17. Um, you continued, you, you became a coach there, and then you started fighting, and that's the ultimate goal, like I said, because I, I do believe uh, Artie, he's going to fight. I believe he's going to become a professional fighter. I believe that's what he wants to do with his life. So uh, that's a goal of ours, to open it up and, and produce a couple fighters out of the gym. That's great, bro. I wish you all the luck in the world, man. And uh, let, let me know when you get let me know when you get that going, man. I'll pull up, you know, I'll pull Absolutely. up to the gym. I still want you to be a special guest, man. You're one of my success stories, man. Somebody that I've actually watched and and get to see that that's made it to fight uh, on ESPN under a top ranked promotion card, man. You know, a lot of guys will not make it to that level already. Even if you never box again in your life, man, where you're at, a lot of guys will never make it there. You know, so that's something for you to be very, very proud of. Oh, and uh, a great accomplishment. Thank you, brother. I'm blessed, man. Very yep. blessed. Uh, but yeah, man, thank you, man. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up with that. Um, yeah, for the audience, thank you guys for listening. This was Art Satterwhite here at the Get Your Mind Right podcast with your host, Mr. Mike. And uh, I'll catch you guys in the next one. Art, thank you for coming sure. through again, man. Appreciate it. No problem, it. brother, man. Take care, bro, and I love you. Love you too, man. Talk to you soon. Yep. All right, family. That was episode 22 for y'all. Thank you guys for tuning in and getting all the way to the end. Remember to subscribe, follow, like on your favorite streaming platform to the Get Your Mind Right podcast. Much appreciated, and God bless.